0: Hello and welcome to The Jackass, the Swansea City podcast. I am Geto Llewellyn and with me tonight is Steve Carroll. Steve, how are you?
1: I'm good, thanks. How are you?
0: Not too bad, not too bad. Enjoying a, a nice break from football after the intense season that we've uh, that we've just had, um, nice and refreshing. Unfortunately, we're a man light tonight. Uh, Matt can't be with us, unfortunately, so um, we'll make up for uh, all the talking that he usually does. Um, weirdly, for this time of the season, we've got a heck of a lot to discuss. We've got uh, some new signings, which is really exciting, um, some new coaches as well to discuss, new kit, the uh, fixture list, uh, which has been uh, released today as we are recording this. And uh, we're also going to po- end the podcast by uh, looking back at Wales's recent matches, including, of course, the one which took us to our first World Cup since 1958. So we have got a lot to run through. But we're going to start off, Steve, by looking at a very exciting signing, Harry Darling, a player who we've kind of been linked with um, for a while now. Um, but seemingly out of the blue... Um, we've signed him from the MK Dons. Um, did you expect this, and and how well? How do how do you see this this signing? Uh, it was a bit out
1: of the blue, wasn't it? Um,
0: to be fair to the club, I think it's
1: it's a great way to operate if you can sort of blindside everybody and and get business done without anybody knowing really. So, absolutely brilliant. I mean to to sort of steal a march on our rivals. Um, it did sound like it was in the pipeline really for for longer than we thought. I mean, I thought the longer that it went on, certainly if we weren't going to make a sale, that he'd probably be um, out of our price range, really, and somebody else would have come in for him. But I mean, there was no shock that uh, Russell Martin was was keen to bring him to us. And um, obviously, we managed to get the, the deal done last Saturday and really pleased, I think, because, you know, it's no secret that defensively was, you know, is the, the main weakness in this team. So to bring in a ball playing centre half, one that can also score goals at the other end, I think is uh, is really good business. And again, it's bringing in players with some resale value, which is going to be key to our business model going forward, really, isn't it? So um, I think we should be delighted,
0: shouldn't we? On the face of it, it is just the ideal signing that we are looking for at the moment, isn't it? It's in a problem position because, let's face it, centre back was a bit of a well, a bit of a disaster zone at at times last season. Um, He brings goals. He scored seven goals last season for the MK Dons. And if you haven't seen the one that he scored against Morecambe, where he's dribbled from his own half um, before slotting into the bottom corner, just go on YouTube and type in Harry Darling goal. Um, It is worth seeing, I promise you. Um, He's... You know, a good passer of the ball. We've known this for for a while. Only one more, one other player in League One made more passes than him last season. Only two had a higher pass completion rate. Um, he's comfortable with the ball at his feet. He's happy dribbling it out. Um, he seems a very good defender as well. I mean, only one team conceded fewer goals than uh, the MK Dons last season, and he was the the main man in their defence. So, you know. It it all seems to add up, but like you said, he's only 22, and we saw this last summer with Pirou, with Downs, with Aubameyang, me, with these types of players who are young, um, and um, who you know, if they succeed with us, we can sell on for a much bigger profit. Um, it makes football sense. It makes business sense. So I'm I'm struggling to see the negatives, and I'm I'm scared really that I'm getting too positive. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that, that's what I think, really. I mean, it does look like a sign in that's, that's too good to be true, really, doesn't it? Um, you know, I think it's one that we should be really encouraged about. And, you know, obviously we're, we'd like some more signings, but it's it's a good start. You know, I know we're going to go on to discuss, um, you know, some of the business we've done with the backroom team as well. But it does seem after, you know, what was a slow start to the summer, things are starting to come together quite nicely, I think. And, um, you know, like I said, we, we definitely need to do more business. But there's there's reasons to be to be positive at the moment, as the team have obviously now, uh, you know, pre-season has begun, and the season will soon be upon us, when it starting earlier, because of the World Cup being in the winter, so, you know, I think we should be quite pleased, what I like is, we've brought, we're identifying there, a clear weakness in the team, and we've, we've tried to address it, and that's, that's the main thing, you wouldn't want us bringing in necessarily, um, a top striker at this moment in time, because we've got other priorities, haven't we, and, um, you know, we've, we've brought in, what looks like a, a really good player, so we should be pleased.
0: Yeah, and and what I absolutely love about this is that we've gone for one of our marquee signings. Quite possibly he will be the biggest signing of the summer for us. And we've done it very early in the window. We've done it, you know, just as the team are getting back for pre-season. I just, it's so unlike what we've been doing for the most part of the last few years. I know, like, last year we had Joe Piru early on, but I'm not sure if we quite expected Joel Pirro to be the player that he turned into. Um, so, you know, we we usually see one or two new faces coming in here. But this is quite possibly our signing of the summer and we've got him in early doors. It's the kind of thing that we used to do a, a long time ago. Um, but over the last few years, because of the financial situation, um, we've, we've known that we needed to sell before we buy. Um, and, and that's just left us on the back foot, really. You know, it's it's meant that we've missed out on transfers. It's meant that we've, you know, had to bring in players very late, and they've had to settle in extremely quickly because we've been waiting for other deals to go through. And I love the fact that this year we've been assertive enough to just say, Do you know what, we will be selling players. We know that we will be selling players. We, we you know we're not we're not being naive here. We know that players are going to be going, and there's going to be a lot more um, ins and outs as the as the weeks and months go on. But we've just gone out and said, do you know what, there's a player there that we really, really want. He is available. Let's just get him while we can. And we'll, you know, get the money uh, further down the line when, when we start selling players late, later on. And we haven't been hesitant, we haven't been afraid. And it's just really refreshing to see us do that again because, um, man, the last few summers, well, many of them anyway have been really painful thinking back to kind of 2016, which was a shambles year later with Sigurdsson, that, that transfer just delaying absolutely everything. Um, you know, even with the Rodon transfer, you know, a, a lot of hanging about and waiting for that first domino to fall before we can really do anything. I don't know about you, Steve, but I, I just it's such a nice change to get that big name player in early before having to wait for other clubs to to help us out?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, as you said earlier, a lot of, when we were successful years ago, I think this was, um, you know, the type of thing we would do. I always look back to the summer under uh, Roberto Martinez, and the first summer that he had in charge. And a lot of our business was was done by pre-season, the likes of Doris, the Priest Ferry, Boulder, Jason Scotland. We, we brought them in early and integrated them in pre-season. And it, everything went to plan, really, apart from Lee Trundle leaving, Later on in the window, which we hadn't expected, but um, you know, we we just seem to have a good plan really at the moment, and I think what we've seen is the how vital it is that you don't change the manager late on in pre-season. Really, I mean, we we now have a manager that is is in place. There's a long-term plan, and we're starting to execute it. You know, before pre-season has started, so that is the the good thing about it. As you say, I mean, there's there's a, 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 still a strong likelihood that one or two are gonna going to move on and you know if that money then gets reinvested or at least some of it does to to improve the team then you know we'll have to accept that as well but it does feel now as if we you know we're doing this business early on just, does just give us that lift and makes us more confident so we should be pleased.
0: Yeah definitely um two other signings that have taken place already in uh, this window uh much lower profile signings one of them is uh, Ola Waziri Williams who's been signed from non-league Um, and the other one is Nathan Wood um, who has come from Middlesbrough I think Steve, I'm right in saying they're both centre-backs I think I'm right in saying that Um, How much of a part do you think we're going to see them playing um, this season and yeah, well I don't know, they're they're much lower profile signings than Harry Darling is the way that I'm looking at it
1: Yeah, I mean it it might depend on who leaves I think it's fairly obvious that Ryan Bennett is not going to play for the Swans again, I mean whether he's still here when the window shuts is we'll have to wait and see if that's obviously going to depend on comes in for him or anything like that isn't it but um you know i mean he, he's done i mean later bodier has been linked with burnley is he going to move on then you'd have to say if, if if those two were to go for example then maybe we, we would need somebody else so you know i i think i'm not sure wood is going to be first choice um but you know i think you'll be around the first team picture i mean it does Depend in some ways, doesn't it? It Looks like uh, Russell Martin really has decided that we're going to continue with three at the back and wing back, so in that case, then there is room for that extra, you know, centre half, isn't there? But obviously, then you've you've got the likes of Manning and Lata baudier playing in there. Whereas if we played a back four, maybe Lata baudier would be the right back and Manning would be the left back, and then that would free up the position at centre half. So, I mean, you know, I don't think Wood is going to be first choice, is he? I think the first choice is probably going to be. Norton, Darling and Cabango. That would be ha- how I see it right now. So maybe Wood would be the next in line. Then or well, maybe Manning. So you know, but that will depend on position. Who, what who comes in in other positions? I mean, because as things stand, Manning is going to have to play left wing back, isn't he? Because there isn't anybody else. So you know, it's yeah. I, I think Wood will play. You know, he, he will see minutes, but I don't think he'll start as first choice. But that way.
0: Yeah, that's kind of how I'm seeing it. Uh, a bit like when we bought Lattabod. yeah. I think that's that's kind of how I'm I'm seeing him at the moment. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting just to see how how they develop and what kind of roles they they pick up between um, within the squad. Uh, another piece of good news. God, this is an unusually positive podcast. Um, Jamie Patterson signed a new contract. Now, if you'd told me this back in January when he was uh, not training with the first team. Uh, because of his contract dispute, I would never ever have believed you. But um, yeah, Steve, our um, most creative player last season has um, committed his uh, his future to the club.
1: Yeah, that's um, that's definitely good news. I mean, not a huge surprise, I would say. Um, I did ask this question at a fans forum in Botalba in April, and they said, "Are we going to, you know, deal with this, or offer him a contract?" So it just basically puts the story to bed because obviously. Did only have a year left to run and the answer I was told basically was that it was going to get sorted so yeah we've we've sorted it and and yeah definitely um a good thing as you say one of our best and most influential players last season um absolutely did not want to lose him we wanted to make sure that he was still here for this campaign and um we've done that so it's very much a case of good news and hopefully move on now to do um more business again that uh that will help us this season so but yeah good to get it done and um yeah it does feel like we've had some good news nearly every day this week so you know it's um we should all be pleased again it's um as you say it feels a little bit odd at the moment a very positive podcast we don't always get these but um it is nice to see
0: listeners gonna be switching off in their droves this isn't why they tuned in this isn't why they subscribe to the Jackcast. um um, when there has been one departure um, this week well one player who's out of contract has um, has found a new club and that's Jan Dander uh, who has gone up to Scotland and signed for Ross County um, I mean Steve we, we knew he was going um, should have gone earlier really he clearly wasn't a part of Russell Martin's plans but um, what do you think about Jan Dander's time at the Swans um, and, and do you think he's uh, do you think this is a good move for him going up to, to Scotland
1: well, it'll be a good move if he plays, won't it? because you know he's he he's barely even featured on the benches either season. So you know he's had a disastrous year. I mean, I think the right thing was probably on the wall on the opening day where you know Russell Martin only had a week in charge at that point, but he signed Paterson on the Friday, and he went straight into the team and and Danda was on the bench. I mean, it can't get much more of an insult than that to somebody either you know you've had a week and this other guy has had no preseason and he's getting to pick the interview. So. I think the writing was on the wall at that point. So, you know, I think Dan has had some some decent moments, but it, I think the problem is he still looks like a boy playing man's football. He's got to try and bulk up a bit. I mean, made a great start to this one's career, didn't he, by scoring, um, you know, with his first touch uh, for the club in uh, on that opening day at Sheffield United. I mean, Steve Cooper seemed to like him. Obviously, he had some minutes there, but I suppose he never really kicked on, did he? So, you know, when he is, I, I don't know, how old he is now, maybe twenty three, something like that, but. He you know, needs to play, doesn't he? I, th- I think it is fairly straightforward, and he wasn't going to play here. So you know, um, hopefully he will go there and play because you know I, I bear no malice to him, and I'm sure nobody else does really. But um, you know he he had to leave, didn't he?
0: Yeah, I just I think we've waited a long time for him to kind of fulfil his potential because I think we've all looked at him and thought, oh, there's a player there. You know, he's got good feet, he's got great strike on him. Um, he just never really took that next step you know he had those moments where you thought oh here we go he's he's getting ready to make that breakthrough and become that championship quality player that, that we need in midfield and they were always just just flashes and never anything more than that uh and i think a lot of it like you said just comes down to physicality i just think he looked very lightweight the whole time he was with the club he never got up to got, got up to speed with the physicality of the championship and I think that meant he would spend long long periods um, where he struggled to get involved in games um, he's quite easy to bully off the ball um, and just just looked always looked like that academy player taking his first steps into into senior football really so um, it's a shame because I, I really like danda in many ways um, I, I do think he's a really cultured footballer and there's something about him. I'm hoping that going to Scotland, you know, let's face it, dropping uh, a level in quality is just going to let him express himself and, and allow him to establish himself and, and become the player that we we were waiting for him to become. But let's face it, we, we could see it in the end for quite some time, really, that it just wasn't going to happen. So... I mean, our best wishes to Danda. Um, I think he's uh, you know, he's given us some good memories, some good goals scored over the years. I think the, the you said it there that his debut is probably what he will be most remembered for, one of the all-time great Swansea City debuts coming off the bench and scoring within a few seconds on the opening day of the season. Um, had a couple of goals after that, but um like I said, never had that lasting success um, th- that he needed. And um, unfortunately, he's had to look elsewhere for um, for opportunities, but hopefully he will get them at Ross County. Um, let's go back to incomings this time, the coaching staff. Um, I think we'll all agree, Steve. Um, the news that the Swans have got a set piece coaching is good news. I don't even care who he is. I don't know what his I don't even care about his credentials. Andy Parslow is a set piece coach. And boy, do we need one of those?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, as I said, really, you I mean, looking for weaknesses, not just in terms of the playing squad, but in terms of our approach, really, because it was a big weakness from there. I mean, we were very good at set pieces under Steve Cooper, but we definitely went backwards last year at them. So, to bring in a set piece coach, yeah, I don't think anybody's going to complain of that. That's got to be a good move. Um, like I said, we're looking for those those weaknesses, I mean, trying to improve them. And, you know, by bringing in more staff, it does show you that the manager's viewing it as a, a long-term job, really. So that's, that's got to be um, a positive as well. I, I definitely think this, you know, it's, it's got to be a, a good thing. We all wondered, really, who, you know, the Luke Williams left in about March time, I think it was. And obviously, Matt Gill has become the, the assistant. But... We did wonder who would join the backroom team and um, yeah, I think a set piece coach to target someone with those type of skills. um, Yeah, for me, definitely uh, the right move and, um, you know, hopefully that will help us um, in some of the tighter games and and certainly help us not be so um, easy to score against in some situations because that definitely has been the case in some games, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, well, just in terms of attacking set-pieces, the Swans absolutely rock bottom of the Championship. No team scored fewer goals from uh, dead ball situations. Two uh, conventional set-piece goals and one penalty. Um, you know, the, the next lowest after that is Hull with six set-piece goals. I mean, you know, that that speaks volumes. That's the kind of thing that we had to put up with. And I think looking at the way we approached set-pieces last season, um it very much looked like there was uh, there was no plan really if i'm being honest i i mean it was just a matter of hit and hope or playing weird short corners which didn't really seem to have any kind of plan or method to them it was just kind of oh let's see what happens from here and i think of the championship you need a bit better than that, really. You need to have a bit more of a plan. And there are so many goals scored from set pieces. I mean, just looking at the table, Handersfield scored 23 goals from, from dead ball situations last season, 23 goals. I mean, that's, oof, that, that's enormous. And that made, that, that made an enormous difference to their season without those, you know, even if they had half of those goals, I mean, they, they probably, well, you're looking at it as something that was critical to them getting to the championship playoffs. Um, without the, without those set-piece threats, they're not making the top six. Uh, and I think we saw the same, like you said, under Steve Cooper. Without our um, efficiency from set-pieces under Cooper, we probably would not have had the kind of success that we enjoyed under him. So, you know, in the Championship, they make a massive difference and um, hopefully we'll see them improving. Um, the new coach, uh, Andy Paslow, he uh, worked at Wimbledon in the past and um, seems to have had quite a quite a good impact on on their um, set-piece success. So, um, yeah, um, hopefully, that, hopefully we'll see some results there. Just um, in terms of defending set-pieces, by the way, the stats say Swans uh, weren't that bad. Um, they, we were 16th in the league for uh, goals conceded from set-pieces, um, 16th as in Reading top because they conceded 21, which is a, a really large amount. The Swans only conceded 10. Um which, um, you know, is is not a, a bad record, actually. Um, and I, I don't really think it was a major weakness last season, um, although there is probably room to improve. Um, the other coach that's been brought in uh, is Tom Barnden, uh, head of performance, Steve. Um, obviously, this was a, an appointment that we were expecting uh, after departures previously. Um, I guess good to get somebody in before, um, well, uh, right at the start of pre-season.
1: Yeah, I mean... You know, head of performance, you, you always need somebody in that position uh, to fill that role, don't you? So, you know, we're not going to pretend we know a great deal about him, but yeah, clearly a vacancy that needed filling. So, you know, as I say, hopefully now all the backroom staff is in place and then we can just uh, think about the playing squad, really, because obviously there, there's certain areas, aren't there, that that need addressing and then if people get sold, then there'll be other areas that need it. So, you know, I think it's hopefully now the backroom team is in place.
0: Yeah well it's you know there's some positive incomings um at the swans um which is brilliant really to see at this stage of the season we'll have to wait and see how things look uh, by the time we kick off the new season of course and um I'm sure we'll have plenty of ups and downs between uh, now and then but there we go for the time being we're all feeling very positive um another thing which seems to have had uh, a generally positive response is the uh, swans kit um, or at least the away kit seems to have um uh, Been very popularly received. Um, Steve, what, what's your opinion on on both of the kits that we've seen so far? I think what I would say is the I've seen the
1: home shirt up close in person, and it is actually nicer than maybe what it looks online. I mean, there are the the waves in the you know on the arms, for example. I mean, you can't see them very well if uh, at a distance, but you can see it when you're up a bit closer. So you know that's good. I think the collar probably isn't you know the it's probably the, the big weakness in the shirt in terms of it not being like so I don't think it is one of the like the standout classic Swans home shirts, I must be honest. But I do love the away shirt. Um proper throwback that is to the early nineties. Um, you know, um can't beat that. That's probably one of the more iconic uh Swan's away shirts really so quite a good idea I would say to to bring that back, even if uh one or two seem to for some reason think it looks like the Union Jack, which well nonsense but uh yeah it's uh one of the great away shirts and uh, i think that will sell very well
0: yeah let's face it if you've got to find an imaginary union jack in a in a shirt to get your uh, one-upmanship then you're getting a bit desperate really um i'm not as positive about the home shirt as you are i i felt quite underwhelmed by it i think we've had worse but i wasn't in love with it Uh, i haven't seen it in person yet so maybe there are a few details that will sway my opinion but just looking at all the photos i don't know I, i just think it's a little bit dull and a little bit boring and the collar isn't really for me i'll be honest yeah it's i don't think it's the best um home shirt um the away shirt looks much nicer um it's something different um it's um I think I think it's going to be very well received, and I think it's going to sell very very well. And I think when we look around the stadium um, <clears throat> this season, I think we're going to see an awful lot of orange, um, because yeah, I think a lot of people are going to be deciding to go for the away kit rather than the home kit. Um, I, how do you how do you think it, the the kits compare with kind of the last few years? Because I'll be honest, I loved the home kit last year. I absolutely adored it. One of one of my favourites of all time. Um, so I'm probably going to stick with that one for this season. But um, I mean, we've we've had some good away kits over the last few years as well. Um, where does the the orange retro one fit in with those?
1: I think the orange is is a really good one. I think uh, I always measure them away kits against the um the legendary black from
0: the around the time we stayed <laughs> in
1: the league. That is always the best for me. Um, but.
0: But they're very different kits. I mean, that black one was just kind of quite simple, quite, you know, very, quite a clean kit and lovely. But this one's, this one's total opposite. It's crazy. There's a lot going on and it's colourful. It's bright. You know, they're they're very different away shirts.
1: No, they are. I think I just really like that one because uh, I don't think we'd ever had a black away shirt until that point. So when we brought it out, it was like, oh, wow, we got a black away shirt and it looks, looks great. So I've always loved that black away shirt. Um, Yeah, I think this one is a bit, like I say, it is a bit crazy, but for some reason it's just iconic. I mean, if you ask most people, I mean, um, you know, I, I that is the first Swan's away shirt that really sticks in my head, even though it's before my time. Um, it's it's odd. Like I remember some of the other ones we had around that time and they were a bit messy, but they didn't really capture the the imagination like that one did. I don't know why that one did, it just did. But um, yeah, I think it's it's definitely one of probably in the it's gotta be in the top five Swan's away shirts in you know, I would say the that orange one, which which is funny as well, because I remember the orange one that we had in the prem, and I hated that. <laughs> because, I because didn't, that. I didn't
0: hate it, but it wasn't it wasn't I a think classic. That's one of the it wasn't
1: I always that orange was almost too bright I mean, <laughs> They to get the sunglasses out for it.
0: It was high vis, wasn't
1: it? Um, yeah. That's what I, thought. I, I didn't like that shirt at all. I thought it was terrible. Um, but yeah, this orange is there's something about that. That one I think it's quite it's such a different shirt, isn't it? You don't see an away shirt like that for, for anyone else, I think because obviously the sleeves are, are, are you know they're like white and, and blue, aren't they i mean it's it's a strange one. I don't know whoever ever came up with it years ago, but it's um yeah, it's definitely one
0: of the the great uh swans away shirts let's face uh, nice. so the, the early mid the early to mid nineties was like a weird time for fashion, full stop I mean when we look back at kind of what people were wearing back then. You know, there were there some questionable tastes um, around the place. And you look back at football kits of that era and you're just like, wow, what was going on? How many drugs were these people taking when they were designing these shirts, you know? But like over the last few years, everybody's seen it. There's been kind of a revival of... Um, I, um And it's not just in football. I mean, vintage clothing is, you know, uh, much more appreciated these days. It's much more fashionable. Um I mean, when I was kind of younger... You were to tell me that, you know, you were trying to dress for like people were dressing 20, 30 years ago. Um, people thought you were absolutely mad. But these days, it's as if people are trying their best to look like something after 1994. Um, and, yeah, this kit is kind of in keeping with that. So, yeah, it's, you know, um, but it's, it's good. It's going to I don't know in years to come if we're going to look back with it with quite the same fondness. I think maybe in years to come, we'll look back and think, wow, that was a weird period for 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 foot pockets. Um but at the moment, yeah, it, it's it's eye catching, it stands out. It's it's very cool, it has to be said. Um, I do love that black away shirt though that you're talking about back of the vest, That was my first Dev Swans top. Um, and I think actually if I if I hadn't thrown it away, um it probably would still fit me. Now today it was so baggy. It was absolutely massive on me. It was like what it was like wearing a parachute from the place. Yeah,
1: I still got it. It's, uh, yeah, it's one of the greats without a doubt.
0: Yeah, I always think of Lee Trundle when I see when I see it. It's, just, I like, yeah, I got these images in my head of him celebrating wearing that. It's, yeah, just good times. Oh, good we'll times. Away when we uh, come back to win four three. Yeah, that, that those are the kind of games that you're thinking about. Um, oh, it's brilliant times, brilliant times. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see if there's a third kit that comes out as well, but um uh, i think yeah the, the, there's been obviously any kit is going to divide opinion but um there's certainly been a lot of good response to the uh, to the away kit so uh, good job by the swans there now let's move on to the fixture list um there are some people out there who will say who will question why we make a big deal about fixtures we all have to play the same 23 teams home and away every single season but people do get excited um when the fixtures are released and i think steve this year more than any for quite some time. I think we can kind of see why, because there are some interesting dates in the calendar and teams are playing at interesting times, especially if you do like going away to watch the Swans.
1: Yeah, I think so. It's, um, you know, I think the last few years, there has been some frustration over some of the fixtures. I mean, we did talk about it off-air to me, and I think one of the big ones was, I think just before COVID, we had, I think there were five London teams in our division. And I think what happened was we had four of them not on a Saturday, and then we had Millwall on the Saturday, and that came just after the lockdown. So I worked this out, right? We have not played away on a Saturday in London with a crowd since April 2019. That's now, nuts. That absolutely unbelievable. There cannot be another club like that,
0: surely, can there? Was that great? Was that QPR under Graham Potter? Yeah, well, we took the pace. We were three down in 15, weren't we? So, yeah, I don't don't want to repeat to that, but that is insane considering how many London clubs there have been. I, I, this year, actually, there are fewer that I can remember for a very long time. But I mean, that's that's still incredible, yeah. isn't it?
1: Well, like that year, there were five, I think. But obviously, yeah. it has changed a bit because the likes of Charlton went down. Then they obviously Fulham were in there. They've gone up, um, you know. So it has changed uh, a little bit. But um, but this year, effectively, there is only QPR in Millwall, isn't it? I mean, you can count Watford, sort of. But mm.
0: uh,
1: I wouldn't count yeah, Watford not, as a London team. Yeah, it's not. It's not really, is it? So but it's you know, it's supposed but, to live
0: Mill- Mill-
1: Millwall again is a Tuesday, but at least QPR is a Saturday. So yeah. we will be we will not quite make four years uh, since a Saturday London away game with fans, which is you know, well most would take that for granted, but we would. But um, yeah, as you say, there's plenty of. Uh, ones there i mean from my point of view we open with royal's Rum. i always say it's good to have an away game that's a bit further than the majority would usually go to on the opening day because more will go on the opening day than normal meaning that away day is then a lot better than it would have been if it was later in the season you don't want to waste the opening day on a west brom or a Bristol city or something because you'd sell out no matter what probably so yeah royal's a good one and i've never been um you know, Blackburn at home first. I mean, that's a reasonable one. Looking at it. they getting the season great, did they? So that's another one where I think we'd be reasonably optimistic. They, they do. They do tend to start
0: seasons well, though. Blackburn. That's the one thing I'll say about them. They do, and that's going to be an interesting one because they've got a new manager as well. So we'll see. Yondal yeah, Thompson. That's 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 a, that's a hell of a kind of. Uh, it's a, it's turning into a retro podcast. We're talking about retro kits, retro footballers. That I mean, Yondal Thompson when when I was kind of in school was um yeah he he was like one of one of those names that everybody knew you know it was um I remember I had that kind of um football top trumps and his like goal scoring would like beat pretty much everybody because because his goal scoring record especially for Denmark was so good um so yeah that's um yeah that's gonna be a really interesting one to see how he copes at Blackburn
1: yeah I think that it's um A very left field appointment isn't it um you know when you look at that i mean the east lancashire derby is going to be very interested i mean you've got him and obviously vincent company has gone to burnley so you know that's definitely a matchup that we probably didn't see coming but um you know the championship can attract uh, big names these days can't it? i mean and
0: on, on, on the burnley and blackburn thing by the way their derby is their last match before the world cup so oh. can you imagine the pressure that's got on that match because whoever loses that derby has has to wait at least a month to get a chance to to put it out their minds because obviously the there's this season we've got a wonderful mid season break for the World Cup thanks FIFA um, it's so yeah can you imagine if like you know we played against Cardiff um, the 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 final game before a month long break I mean the pressure to win that match. It's bad enough if you've got like if you play them just before an international break, regular one, and you've got like two weeks to wait until um until the next match. But a month, that's that that's got that's got a, that extra little bit of spice, that extra bit of pressure on it now.
1: Yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you? I mean, you'd only be stewing on that one for a while. Um yeah. I mean, after Blackburn, we've got what is probably looks like the highlight of the season, Blackpool away in the middle of August. I mean, for anyone that enjoys combining the Swans with piss-ups. I think that is just magnificent. That was, uh, how can I put it, a WhatsApp group I was in went off at nine o'clock this morning when, uh, when that came out. So I yeah. think
0: there are still some Swansea fans who, I think there's some Swansea fans who are still drunk from the last visit to Blackpool. So I, I, God knows what they're going to be like when they're there in the middle of the summer. I mean, if the sun's out... I mean that 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 has it it there will be there will be the kind of scenes that we haven't seen since Valencia away.
1: Well, it was the last time was unbelievable in the Manchester. Anyone, that, I'm sure there's a few listening to this uh, that were in there, like with the Swans playlist, and um, yeah, that it was full from about twelve o'clock or whatever. It was oh, it was unbelievable in there, but it's for me the greatest pre-match Swans game I, I, I've ever seen, better than Valencia. So. You know, that that says it all, really. And the fact that it's in August, I mean, that is the one thing with Blackpool. It does depend on when it is. It really needs to be early or late in the season. Really, having it in the middle of March last time was that was probably just about OK. I think if it was like a, a couple of weeks earlier, it wouldn't have been so good. But um, we got lucky, really. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was brilliant. And I think it will be again. I mean, but then we've got, after that, we've got Millwall at home, haven't we? So I think, you know, look at those first four games. I mean, there's a good chance for... Points on the board early doors, really, isn't there?
0: I mean, do you see it the same way? Yeah, I, d- I don't think there's anything too terrifying there. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, Blackburn they've got some good players, they play, they, they've they got some good attacking players in particular. I mean, they and they usually start seasons well, so that that may be quite tough. Rotherham are a newly promoted team, never really know what you're going to get. Um, but generally, I think you're better off playing the newly promoted teams early on in the season when they've. When they, they're still trying to make that step up doesn't know that's not always true but um hopefully the case with rotherham blackpool away is just a good away day they, they're going to be um a tough one um to put to beat but it's um um yeah it's a great away day and then like you said um millwall that's going to be an interesting one i mean they've um they've lost jed wallace who's been such a big player for them over the last few years you know, they, their recruitment is not always the most exciting. Are they going to be able to replace that kind of influence? I don't know. But yeah, it, I, I think there is a potential there to pick up points early on in the season. And with a good preseason, hopefully we can um, we, we can really attack those games. Um Two games that fans always keep an eye out for. Uh, put them in your diary. Uh, Cardiff at home. October 22nd, away on April 1st. You can see the journalists preparing their April Fool's headlines for that one, whoever loses uh, that game. Um, any opinion, Steve, on on the timing of those two fixtures? Um, aren't they on pretty much the same weekends as the season just gone? Yeah, I was thinking that at very, very similar times of the year. Because um, obviously it was the 2nd of April that
1: we did the so it's, it is the same weekend. And then I'm pretty sure that it was that one as well, like the 20-something. If not, it was the week before. It was the week after the... Was it the week after the international break last time? The Wales Republic and um, Estonia. I think it was. I'll, I'm going to Google this now. What yeah. Was was it last year?
0: One thing I'll say is... Um... If a um, if a certain uh, Wales star signs for Cardiff, um, which um, looks like a, a very strong possibility at this stage, although it's certainly not complete yet, um, as a Wales fan, I'll be honest. I'm not liking the idea of him playing in a South Wales derby just before the World Cup. Regardless, you know, regardless of the impact he could have on on our match, um, I don't like the idea of a highly injury-prone star player. Playing in a game which tends to be quite tasty and, tight and quite feisty, um, just a couple of weeks before we head off to Qatar. Um, so um, another reason, really, why I think it would be best for Welsh football if uh, Gareth Bale avoids his hometown club at least for the at least for the time being, at least until after the World Cup. Um, I think it would
1: be best if he avoids them permanently.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I would rather that, but um yeah, that, at, at least for the time being. At least until we've got our first World Cup since nineteen fifty-eight out the way. That would be uh, that would be nice. But we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Um and yeah, um the I guess the one one of the other things that people look ahead to is the last game of the season. That's West Brom at home. Um, which is one we've had before. I think the season we had the great escape in the Premier League I lost Home game of the season was against West Brom. That was a 2-1 two, two, win. Um will be interesting to see how they do this season under Steve Bruce. Um they've actually bought Jed Wallace from Millwall. So um that's gonna be uh that's gonna be a they're gonna be an interesting team to watch. Obviously, they were they were shocking for most of last season. Um so um they'll be hoping for a much better season this time around. Um the one other fixture, other than the league fixture, which was announced um today, was um the draw for the first round of the League Cup. Um, I think it's called the Carabao Cup these days. Um, Oxford United away, Steve. A match which, for me anyway, has a lot of bad memories attached to it.
1: Yeah, uh, our last cup exit wasn't one great, was it? So, um, yeah. Um, but how seriously are we going to take it? Is you know, is debatable. I think you'll see some squad players playing. Yeah, in this. Uh, It'll be an interesting one that, because Oxford are, a, you know, they're a decent side. It's not like we're playing a team in, in, uh, you know, struggling league two team. we would have thought yeah. we'd playing a team that has uh, pushed for promotion in recent times? I don't think they made the playoffs last year, but
0: yeah,
1: yeah they're, Um, that that will be an interesting test for some of the the squad players and maybe some of the younger players. So it's, uh, yeah, not not uh, a tie that we can expect to just turn up and win. I wouldn't have thought that will. Uh, that, that will be one with a bit of uh, that is a bit tricky.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean anybody who was at that FA Cup match a couple of years back will um will have horrendous memories of the Kassam Stadium. I mean, the lasting memories, other than you know the the shocking goals that we conceded and um the conceded yeah. our own corner, didn't we? Uh, yes, we did. Yeah, um, it was, it was just awful. The, the defending was was absolutely shocking. I I think that was one of the only matches that Frank Tabanu played for us. Um. And and I think that game really showed why he hadn't played many games for us before that. He was um is is a bit shocking, really. I think um and obviously that that will forever be remembered as John Joe Shelby's last game for the Swans. Um, finished off after after an appalling performance from him, an absolutely appalling performance. Came over to the away end and kind of called out one of the fans. Um, I that was just the final straw for. John Joe Shelby as a Swansea City player and uh, he was uh, he had to pack his bags after that, thank God. Um, but yeah, Oxford, um, ne- not an easy place to go. They tend to play good football and um, for the Swans at least there are a couple of ghosts there. Um, but first, first League Cup game of the season is one actually we, we, we often take quite a good following. I mean, last season it was at Reading um, and I think we took a decent away following. Did you go to that one, Steve?
1: No, I didn't go to that. But um, you're right; we did take a decent following, and obviously, you know, Oxford's a similar distance, so you might see the same.
0: Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we took um, took a good away crowd to Oxford, um, and it's a different ground as well as somewhere we don't go very often. Um, that is the one thing the cups give you is is that kind of variety. So, um, yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, so, yeah, I mean that that's uh, the fixture list. So, we've had. A very very positive podcast so far discussing the swans um everything looking quite rosy um for now and the positivity is going to continue because we're going to we're going to finish off the podcast by talking about wales um now wales had an absolutely hectic couple of weeks with the nations league um but steve we have to start off with the the game that really mattered in that collection and that is the playoff game against ukraine um I think you'd have to be living under a rock somewhere to not know how that game finished off. So let's just start off by spoiling it for anybody who is um, who still hasn't watched match of the day from from that evening. Um, Wales beat Ukraine 1-0 and qualified for the World Cup for the first time since 1958. That was before my dad was born. My dad is 61 this year so um that gives you an idea of how long we've had to wait we have been long suffering and um i think there was quite a bit of suffering in that game wasn't there steve because my god did we ride our luck
1: oh it was a horrible game wasn't it um you know a really nervy one um but you couldn't really enjoy and i mean as you say we yeah we we rode our luck i mean you know i suppose after i i did think this probably all along that it was sort of our time because the things had sort of gone for us in the build up in terms of the games not being back to back and that we had players that would have struggled to play a, a second game back to back. We had the two home games. We had everybody fit. And you just think, do you know what? These things are going pressure.
0: They usually don't. I mean, even on that point, even going back before the playoffs, I mean, in the Nations League, which which gave us the kind of security of a playoff spot. Um, you know we had the easiest possible draw I mean Finland wouldn't push overs, but we could have got more difficult teams and then Bulgaria and Ireland I mean they had no right to be at that level they they were bad teams going through a major transition they were absolutely awful and Wales didn't play very well in that Nations League campaign but we still topped the group because we had that easy draw and then you're looking at the, the kind of the, the main qualifying group then Okay, the draw, I guess, wasn't the easiest. I mean, Belgium and the Czech Republic, we could have had an easier draw there um, and we didn't have pushovers like San Marino or Andorra. But the way the fixtures were lined up, I mean, we played the Czech Republic just a couple of days after they played against Belgium. So they were not 100 percent going into that game. Um, And just games falling quite nicely for us um, throughout that campaign and then finishing off. Um, with that game against Belgium, which was an absolute gift, really, because Belgium had already qualified. They put out their reserves. Um, you know, that, that that wasn't anything close to Belgium's first team. So many star players missing. Uh, and it just enabled us to get that point to to finish second, to get that home draw. I mean, everything, for once, everything has gone Wales's way uh, in getting to this World Cup. Yeah, it does feel like that. I mean, it's, it's interesting
1: where you mentioned the qualifying, because... I think, other than in Prague, we didn't play great in that many games. I mean, Belgium, we did score an amazing goal away to them, obviously we, we lost them, and you, you sort of expect that. We are playing against a good side. Uh, the Czechs, I thought we didn't play particularly well, and the game changed um, when they had a red card. That was the game in Cardiff. Um, what was it after
0: that? Um, Belarus away. We got out of jail. We were losing. That was a horror show. That we were yeah. so bad in that game. Their defending was was abysmal.
1: Yeah, it was. We got out of jail with a penalty and the fact that their goalkeeper was crap. Home to Estonia, you know, we sh- we should really have won. We had the chances, but I mean in the first half of that game in particular I thought we were bloody awful. Um and away to Estonia, we were crap as well. You know, but it was the game in Prague is where we actually did play quite well. <laughs> when, when you when you say it like that, how on earth did we qualify for this World Cup? But what, what I've got to say about this Welsh team is, and, and I think thought the same in the Nations League, played well in the Finland home game, but in the others we didn't play that well. We had a lot of late goals to win games, but this team is, has got a real spirit. If you know what I mean, it's beat. Mm. they can dig in like the other Welsh teams maybe can't. I mean, that's what I would have to say. I do think against Austria, we d- we certainly we did play quite well. I thought obviously we had yeah. the the standout moments, didn't we from Bale? Obviously, that's why we won, but... And oh, we should I think, have won by more. Yeah, but, I mean, you look at the, the Ukraine game, I mean, the, the standout players were the, the defensive one. Ben Davis was a rock. I mean, Hennessy was brilliant. I mean, they were the, the, the main two that stand out. I mean, the forward players, like Ramsey in particular, was Paul Bale, quiet. Kiefer Moore, not great. I mean, you know, it was... I, it was I, I, one, actually, yeah.
0: I actually think for, for all the praise that... Um... Rob Page has deservedly received because he has done a very good job over the last few years. I thought he got the tactics wrong against Ukraine. Um I don't think he learned from Scotland's mistakes. We didn't pack the midfield well enough and um Ukraine were able to play their game. And it, it was just poor finishing slash luck that denied them a goal, really. I mean it was it would they, they played very, very well. Uh, we had a deflected free kick to to score the winner. It was just one of those days, and you get them in football, one of those days where things just went our way and just did not go their way. And, you know, if you're a Ukrainian fan, then you're absolutely spitting feathers and you can't believe you've lost that game. If you're a Welsh fan, you just say, I don't care how we did it, we've got the job done and we're going to Qatar, and that is the main issue.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, there'll be plenty of people probably listening to this, you know, old school Wales fans will remember... know the Joe Jordan handball for Scotland the the other handball that got them a penalty in the 80s the Paul Bowden penalty mess you just think those little margins they've always gone against us and you just think you know what in the end they've got to go for you at some point and luckily for us they've gone for it for us in our lifetime so it means we are the ones that will get to enjoy a World Cup really but you know you always need that bit of luck, don't you? But I mean, what you have to say is that only thirteen nations from Europe are going to this World Cup. And mm-hmm. when you take up your suspects who've all qualified, I mean apart from Italy, of course, then you know, it's bloody hard to get in there. isn't it? it really is tough to qualify for a world Cup. So
0: well, the, you tough. said it you said it there, the European champions aren't going to the World Cup. You know, that there are so many points along the way where you can slip up and suddenly, you know, you're not going to, to the World Cup. Um, there's so many opportunities to to mess it up. And we've just grown, you know, it's, it's been a grind at times to get those results, but we've just kept going. And, you know, we've, we've secured our place there. And, um, you know, looking ahead to that World Cup, we're in a group with um, the USA, uh, Iran, and I can't remember the other country, but I'm sure it'll come back to me. What, what do you think our chances are in that group? Um, I
1: I think it's not a bad group. I mean, interestingly, if you look at the rankings, it looks like we're in the group of death, but I mean, you know, if you look, we're not, the, are we? We're not. I, I, I don't think we are. I mean, I, I remember when the draw was being made, we could have gone into Qatar's group, which obviously that would have been great. You would have thought that would have been a, a, a good chance of getting C- through. Qatar, um,
0: who by the way, the other day lost uh, a friendly against Linfield, the uh, Northern Ireland champions. So, yeah, exactly, what the
1: we're talking about it'd be a big surprise if they got through and obviously they're the top seeds in the group so by getting them it means you avoid the likes of Brazil Argentina etc doesn't it so you know I mean that would be a big advantage I think the other group we could have got into is what I would call the real group of death which is Portugal Uruguay Ghana and I think we would have gone in then instead of South Korea and I mean you would not want to be in that group that's a very tough group if you ask me but I think our group isn't a bad one I mean the key game is the first game in terms of qualification I would say I mean you would have thought that it's between us and USA, realistically, would would be the favourites to to get second place in the group. I mean, they've got some good players, haven't they? Like Christian Pulisic, but I mean, I, I think we've got a realistic chance. I mean, obviously, Iran can't say I know a great deal about them. Usually, they're not great. They're usually hard maybe to beat, obviously. The climate will suit them, and they may have decent support out there, yes. because obviously, Qatar to Iran isn't a massive difference, but I mean, at the same time, I'd like to think we'd have a decent chance of beating them. I mean, if we could do that, if we're on four points going into the England game. Then you'd like to think if England have won their first two games, they're already through. Might make some changes. Obviously, this will be massively up for it and stuff. But they may well take the view of we don't need to go for hellfire earlier. We can take a draw. Wales would obviously take the draw. Could then get through, couldn't we? So I, I, I think we got a decent chance. And the, I've always said this. I mean, nobody expected semi-finals in 2016, for example. But I mean. Once we're there, the pressure's off. You know, it's hard to qualify. Once you're there, it's, it's a bit of a free hit in some ways. I mean, you're just there to enjoy it, aren't we? There's not a great deal of pressure on us. So, you know, why, why can't we get out of the group? I mean, I'm not saying we could do brilliant things over there past that. I mean, it would be very challenging. It's a World Cup at the end of the day. But we should certainly be going over there thinking to ourselves, right, if everybody's fit, there's no reason why we can't get out of the group.
0: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm on the same wavelength as you. I think the US, and we, we're probably quite evenly matched with the US, I would say. I mean, they, they've not had the best qualifying campaign. They lost to Canada, um, but at least they've qualified for this World Cup, which is something they didn't do last time. Um, they've got a lot of good young players coming through who who look very exciting and look to have a lot of potential. Um, I, I'd say, you know, the... The older heads in the in the US squad probably aren't of the same quality that we would have been used to seeing, say, ten fifteen years ago, when you had the likes of Landon Donovan and um, Clint Dempsey, and you had you know a string of very capable goalkeepers, a solid defence. You know, they they, they had a, they were they were they were a very good, very very well organised and and quite quite decent team um, for many World Cups. I think they've had to kind of start from scratch over the last few years, a couple of new young players who they're trying to blood into the team. So that's going to be a difficult one. And like you said, that that's going to be a huge one. If we can win that, then, you know, you'd say we've got one foot in, in the next round almost, you know. Um, if we lose that, then suddenly you're, you're thinking, OK, we've got to get results against both Iran and, and England then to get through, uh, which, which wouldn't be easy. Um, so that that's just a massive game. It really is absolutely huge. And Iran is going to be tricky, probably because they'll be more used to the conditions. They'll have, you know, it'll be a bit like playing Turkey and Azerbaijan. You know, the the home crowd will be ninety five percent Iranian. Uh, you'd imagine. Um, but then, you know, they're not the best team. I saw them play um, a bit of their game against South Korea while I think I was waiting. To go out for the um wales against austria match a couple of couple of months ago and they weren't great i mean they're, they're pretty basic and that was in quite an important qualifier um so i'm not too concerned about iran i think we've we've got we've definitely got enough to beat them and then our final game against england obviously nobody we did we never wanted to be in the same group as them that you know it all it's always about england all of a sudden then but yeah, you know, we got to deal with it um yeah, you know, they've they've had a, a really poor start to the Nations League campaign, but we know the kind of quality that they've got in that squad, and they've done very well in the last two, um, um last two tournaments. So yeah, obviously it's going to be a very difficult game, and hopefully we won't, in an ideal world, we won't have too much riding on that game. So that's what we have to hope for, really. Um, but yeah, the bottom line is Wales are going to a World Cup and it's something that a lot of us thought we would never see. But wow, what a way for kind of the likes of Bale and Ramsey to to finish off their Wales careers. And what what an amazing uh, monkey to get off our backs and what a great opportunity it is for, for Wales on the world stage. Um, just quickly touching on the Nations League games as well, Steve. Um, what was your general impression of uh, the other three games we played in, in this international break against um, Poland, Belgium and uh, the Netherlands? We only picked up one point from uh, from those three games. What are your, um, sorry, um, yeah, four, we played four games actually and we only picked up one point. What are your feelings about, about those Nation League games? I think there's a bit of frustration really because I do feel
1: like having that playoff in the middle really held us up because obviously we played a a complete reserve team, more or less, in Poland we, but we actually did quite well and I'm looking at that thing myself, if we played the full team, yeah, Page absolutely made the right decision not to play the full team, I'd like to put that out there, but obviously nearly every other country was in a position where you know, um, they they didn't have a playoff to focus on, so I have to think we would have had a result there, and that would have been the key result, because obviously we are in danger now of getting relegated, aren't we, which is Frustrating because it's, it's good to be in that top pot, and you know, the away days and stuff are good in there as well. I mean, as, as I'm sure you'd agree, so yeah, I do feel you know a sense of frustration, really, not so much with the players because you know, because of the situation that we we're in, and obviously playing so many games in quick succession at the end of the season, you've got to make changes and that type of thing. But obviously, we've made more changes than we would have done if we didn't have a playoff, so you know, and it, we're looking as well, aren't we, at those two Dutch games and thinking, well, we've cocked them both up at the end, and we were. You know, we had the chance to make the tactical foul in the home game after, you know, a great equaliser with Norrington Davis's header. And obviously in, in Rotterdam, we were two down early on and you're thinking, oh, God, this is going to be a pace in here. done brilliantly to come back. And then we've done ourselves in again, really. So I think it is, there's just a bit of frustration, I think, isn't there? We we should be sitting on more than one point.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a fair enough ass- uh, assessment. I mean, there's, there is an element of regret when you look back at that Poland game, the fact that we had to put out the reserve side, because if we had put out the first team, I think we would have won that game, because Poland weren't, I think they were there there to be beaten, um, and we played very, very well with the reserve team, and just very unlucky to lose it. The Belgian game, um, oh sorry, the, the first Dutch game, I mean, it, it, both teams made a lot of changes, um, so it felt a bit like a friendly, but You know, when we got that last minute goal, you thought, oh, great, fantastic. That's a really valuable point, one which maybe we didn't expect. And then, of course, they went up straight up the other end and scored the winner. We had the Belgium game, which we drew one all. And um, you could argue we were the better team. Uh, Again, you know, Belgium had made their changes. um, And and Belgium aren't the same team they used to be either. You know, that golden generation is very nearly gone now. Uh, and the players who've come through to replace them are not anywhere near as good. Um, but yeah, that that might go down as a bit of a missed opportunity. And then the two of us were out in the Netherlands. Um, history repeating itself. Working so hard to come back from two goals down to get a two-all draw. And then straight from the kickoff they scored the winner. I mean, it was just... I was hard to believe. really was. But... How optimistic are you now that we're going to be able to stay up in this in this group from with the um, fixtures that we've got remaining? I think the problem for
1: us is going to be that I think Poland play the Dutch at home. Um, you know, if they get something from that, we're, in, we're probably down, aren't we? Unless then we'd have to get something in Belgium. I mean, I, I think if it goes to the last game and we need to beat Poland, I think I'd have a degree of optimism that we could, uh, we could do that, really. But... The problem is that's now the last game. It could be gone before then. I mean, do you see us? Well, we might get a draw in
0: Belgium. I mean, to have a chance, but I, I wouldn't put past us getting a draw in Belgium. I mean, they're, they're, like I said, they're not the same team they used to be, and we've got a very, we've got a pretty decent record against Belgium. You know, they don't beat us very often. Um, so I back us to get a draw there. Um, yeah. but
1: like I said, the the issue is Poland, isn't it? Could they yeah. they were two
0: nil up in the Netherlands, so
1: and and the Netherlands come back to two two. But then they missed the pen at the end, didn't they? So that could have been a better result. For us. So the Dutch really have done us with last minute incidents. They've beaten us twice in the last minute. But then when they've had a last minute penalty against Poland, they cocked it up.
0: I think we're basically. I think this is basically karma for all the luck that we had in qualifying for the World Cup. But if that's the case, I'll take it. I'm happy to take a, you know a, a real rough bit of rough justice in the Nations League if it means we get to go to Qatar. But um yeah, it does feel like um an evening of the scales, really, a balancing of the scales, I guess, um after after everything that's gone on for us over the last few, yeah. few years. And the worst thing
1: is it feels like the Dutch are our nemesis and um if we come second in the group in the World Cup, which
0: we'll all take,
1: the chances are it's the Dutch next.
0: And it'll feel a bit like you know, when we got Denmark in um, in the Euros and know. you know, we, we, we knew what to expect from Denmark. We'd played Denmark and lost. Yeah, you know, quite comprehensively, I would say to to the Danes, we knew what good. Yeah, they
1: were number, didn't they?
0: Yeah, I I think there would be a similar feeling if we came up against the Dutch, even though you know the games against the Dutch have been very tight. Um, and I think we've got players who, yeah, you know, we've shown that we can hurt them. Um, they just they just find a way of winning, and and they just yeah they well we've never so much as got a draw against them. So um, yeah, I think asking us to to beat them at the World Cup would be. Um, would be would be a bit of a, a tough ask but um, you know the belgian uh, sorry the dutch have, have found ways of of messing up at the world cup in the past you know they've um they're quite famous for it so um
1: how uh, we gotta look at this if we are offered right now a last 16
0: against the dutch we're all saying thank you very much um, yes yeah and that's a good world cup for us getting out of the group is a good world cup for us um and anything beyond that would be amazing absolutely insane um but, yeah, I'm not sure if I can see us repeating the uh, the quarterfinal uh, appearance that we made in 1958. But um, if we do, that would be a hell of a result. But then again, I, I didn't think we would get to the semi-finals of Euro 2016. And I wasn't confident that we'd get out of the group in Euro 2020. So Wales do tend to surpass expectations well, in major tournaments. In three major tournaments, we've always got out of the group. Yep, yep. And, I, I, and on a serious note, I think generally this group of players will feel like that is kind of their level. Like they, they will feel that they, they they won't fear anything and they will feel that they should get out of that group. I think they they won't be any of the kind of um, tourist syndrome where they're just there to have a good time. They'll think, no, no, we're here to do a job and we're here to get out of this group and they'll, they'll back themselves to do that
1: yeah I agree with that. I, I don't think we'd be going there to make up the numbers. I just don't think that's in our uh, our nature really. we we've we've shown it of we in the previous tournaments that we've we've been there for business and we've um obviously we've we've succeeded in getting out of the group twice so you would you certainly wouldn't back against this group to um to get through to the next round
0: yeah um by the way um the FIfa have announced yeah. that um the squad size will be expanded from twenty three to twenty six. For this World Cup, uh, which is good news for a lot of players on the fringes, um, because I think, you know, Rob Page would have had um, quite a few difficult picks to, to make after some impressive performances from um, individuals in the Nations League who may not have been uh, on everybody's lists to, to go to the World Cup. Um, are you going out to Qatar, Steve? Or are you tempted to go to Qatar? Uh, I'm going. I've booked uh, all inclusive in Dubai.
1: So uh... oh God. Yes, I am going, flying in and out for the, the three games, so that seemed like the best option rather than going to Qatar, accepting terrible accommodation, if you can then drink, paying a ten or a pint, playing God knows what in food, so I just thought, right, I'm going to take the hit, I'm going to go for a little bit of luxury. Um, yeah, staying in a, a lovely hotel Um, that has ten restaurants and three bars, three pools, its own private beach, so, um, how many vital organs have you had to sell to afford this? Yeah, it's not, uh, it's not, purpose, but I've, uh, how can I put it? It's top of my bucket list to see Wales in a World Cup of the things that I haven't seen. So, um, yes, I've decided that uh, there was no way I was going to miss it. So I will be in Qatar. You only need
0: one kidney to survive anyway. It's fine. It's fine. It's, uh, you can but, live I'm not it. Maybe I'm not going to drink. <laughs> I might, might not be able to. <laughs> Who's to say
1: these these fan zones and wherever are going to exist? This is the thing with Qatar. We we don't really know, do we?
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I you know it's such a weird situation to be in. I I, I can uh, ru- categorically rule out an appearance in Qatar from my point of view. Um, I took one look at the prices and worked out that my bank balance uh, is not going to stretch that far. So uh, I'll be watching it from home. There are a couple of people who've um, I've seen um, they're trying to arrange like a big. Kind of Welsh party in Tenerife um, for the World Cup, basically just getting as many Welsh people as possible over to Tenerife and watching it in pubs over there. Which, I'll be honest, sounds like a lot of fun. December, November, December in Tenerife.
1: You know, so, going holiday for the World Cup in it, especially it was a a time of year where you know watching it here. It's not. I'm not I'm not going to knock that at all. But obviously, you it will be indoor watching, would not it? Which is yeah. not known for a, a tournament. It's nice to find a beer garden or if someone's having a barbecue and invites people around and stuff like that, I think that is quite good from a from a tournament point of view. But obviously it's not going to be like that this time. It's going to be indoors, isn't it? Because it's going to be bloody freezing. So, yeah. you know, I, I think, uh, yeah, booking yourself a, a nice little holiday, especially if there's a lot of other Welsh people in the same area. I mean, that's certainly worse ideas than that.
0: Yeah. So there we go. But if we've planted a few seeds in, uh, in your brains, uh, either tempting you to go to Qatar or if you can't quite afford that, maybe to Tenerife. Um, well we're happy we could help Uh, thank you very much for joining us hopefully you've enjoyed this wonderfully positive podcast and hopefully when we uh, meet up next time um, before uh, the season starts we promise uh, we'll still have this positivity running through the entire podcast but until then thank you very much for listening